Hola mi gente, bienvenidos. I'm your host Lore and this is Creepy Chisme. Some stories and info are not suitable for all, especially young children. Listen at your own risk. Hola mi gente, it's your girl Lore here with another episode of Creepy Chisme. ¿Cómo están? How y'all doing? Me? Ah, pues aquí estoy, ¿no? <laughs> I'm here, y'all, and that's what truly matters. I think sometimes we fall into these, you know, these dark funks, and that's okay, but just don't allow yourself to stay in that place. Take some time for yourself, reflect, plan, and get right back into the swing of things. We all need a break sometimes, and it's fine. You guys, spooky season is here and I usually do 31 nights of horror, but I don't know if I'll be able to do that this year. But I will be posting horror movie recommendations for the spooky season on Instagram and TikTok as well as my Facebook group. So be ready for that if you love horror movies or if you're just looking for something cool to watch. Also, I am really, really close to 10k followers on TikTok. No lo puedo creer. I do not believe it. So I have been thinking I have to do something special for 10k. Gosh, it feels like just yesterday I was so excited that I reached 2,000 followers and I couldn't believe that 2,000 people want to listen to me. Yeah, I was always told, your voice is so annoying. Yeah. <laughs> And now I get these nice messages from people that are like, oh, Lore, I love your voice. And I'm like, what? I hate listening to myself, especially when I'm editing. Oh, disgusting. <laughs> anyway, thanks for the compliments, though, guys. But yeah, 10K. That's insane. So yeah, I want to do something special. I don't know what yet. But I do know that you need to follow me on TikTok in order to take part in whatever I choose to do. I'm thinking a little giveaway, you know, because I love my Creepy Cheeseman mug. I love it. So I like the place I ordered it from. Still can't find a t-shirt company I like. I have like five different Creepy Cheeseman t-shirts and they've all like turned to trash within like a week or two yeah I do have one I like but I don't like the material of the shirt but the picture saved pretty well so guys I am working on some t-shirt ideas it's just gonna take some time your girl is not very good with that kind of stuff but I did find a place that I like that makes nice mugs so maybe for the cold season I'll do that but yeah, I'm thinking of doing a little giveaway. So, like I said, go follow me on TikTok. And yeah, I'm almost there. I can't believe it. Hmm, let's see. What else has been going on in Lore's life? Work. 
yeah. <laughs> Work has been taking over my life and my energy. Mm -hmm. But it's the beginning of the year. And I feel like I go through this every time at the beginning of the year where I'm like, oh my God, this year is going to be horrible. These kids are so bad. But then it's like, it, it calms down. But I'm not going to jinx it. I'm not going to say anything. But y'all, these kids is draining me. They are taking every last ounce of energy in me. I only work six hours, like six and a half hours. And that's enough to knock me the hell out for the whole evening. Like I get home and if I allow myself to fall asleep, I will fall asleep until the next morning. So I have to force myself to stay awake. But I still end up in bed by eight. I am turning into an old lady. Let me tell you. <laughs> but I'm okay. We're going to get through it, teachers. We're going to do it. We always do. Recently, I did my first collab, my first podcast collab. That'll be up next time for you guys. A little change of pace for Creepy Chisme, but a great conversation with a very good friend. So tune in for that next time. Uh, but yeah, I think that's about it. So all right, let's get right into an updater story I recently heard. <laughs> Now, according to HuffPost.com, researchers found a centuries-old female vampire whose remains were found held to the ground by a sickle. Now, this was found in a Polish village cemetery by a team of Torun Nicolas Copernicus University researchers in Pien. They claim that the skeleton dates back to the 17th century and has a sickle placed around its neck, which was usually used to prevent one from, like, coming back from the dead. There was also a padlock on one of the toes, and that was also something that they would use to keep the dead from rising from the grave. They also found a silk cap, which shows that the woman was obviously from a high rank in society. The skull had a front tooth that was kind of, like, sticking out, and that could have been the reason that they thought this woman was a vampire that would come back from the dead. So a sickle and a padlock are just a few ways that back in the day that they would keep the dead accused of being witches or vampires from coming back. But they would also sometimes cut off pieces of the body such as the head or the legs and they would burn them, which... The burning carried on because we use that for the witches in Salem. So that's crazy that it's been around for that long. Uh, they would smash them. They would smash their bodies to the point that they felt like, all right, they're never coming back to life. Or they would bury them face down in the dirt so they would pretty much suffocate. Now the sickle was placed near the neck. So that if they came back to life, it would cut them deep enough to make sure they were dead again. Now the skeleton's DNA is being tested as well as uh, they're planning to do some more research. 
at the cemetery. I don't know if that means they're going to dig some more or look for more stuff around where they found the skeleton, but they're going to continue the research. It's just so crazy. This is so crazy to me to think back in the 19th century that they would take such crazy precautions to make sure people wouldn't come back from the dead. All right, and one more story for you because this ties into our episode for today. Uh, The title of this article is Congress Implies UFOs Have Non-Human Origins, and this is according to thehill.com. I'm not going to read the entire article. If you want to read it, like I said, it's on thehill.com. It's really good, though. But I want to tell you some key pieces I found pretty fascinating. Now, y'all know I love me some aliens, and that's why this episode is going to be 100. (laughs) But this article that I found says that lawmakers recently made several striking revisions to the definition of UFO. So a draft bill approved unanimously by the Senate Select Committee on Intelligence rebrands UFOs as, you ready for this? Unidentified aerospace undersea phenomena. Undersea, y'all. I told you. I told you. So pretty much that's what UFO is defined as now. But one of the main things is they also added into that definition. It must be a non-human origin. So what does that mean? So pretty much what that means is If it turns out to be something like a drone or something that could be explained, the UFO committee would then stop studying the object and give it to the, to some government official and be like, here, someone's in our military airspace or wherever it's at. I do have a few concerns with that because, you know, there's sometimes I think I see things in the sky and I'm like, what is that? Right? You can't really see that well, and especially if it's moving at a fast pace. Yeah, okay. But I don't know how they're going to work that whole situation out. (laughs) But what I also saw in this article is, so they explain that the revised definition of UFO includes transmedium objects, which according to lawmakers, transition between space and the atmosphere or between the atmosphere and bodies of water. So to me, this means that they're talking about some things coming from the air and flying down into the water. And I believe that the Navy, right? They're the ones that are out at sea most of the time, I think, right? The ocean. I think they see a lot of stuff they don't want us to know about in the water. Because just the few stories that I've heard Or those few videos that came out where the government was like, yeah, it's real, but we don't know what it is. Where that one UFO like dived down into the water, no sound, no splash of water. That's crazy. That is freaking crazy. But you guys know my opinion on aliens. I know they're down there. They're down in that ocean somewhere. But I don't know. I just found this really interesting. This article is very interesting um, and exciting. And I think this article is from August 22nd, so fairly recent. I'm really excited about this episode. Let's just get right into it. You guys ready? It's time to get creepy.
and abductions have always been a topic that many choose not to believe in. And although thousands have admitted to experiencing similar stories, stories of being taken in their sleep, some claim to have been taken while awake, only to come two hours later with no memory of what happened to them. Now imagine having this unexplainable experience, terrifying yet remarkable, and no one around you believes you. So many claims have been made to this day, and whether you choose to believe it or not, these three stories that I bring you today are from real people who said or experienced something otherworldly. Now, some details are haunting and graphic, so trigger warning me, gente. But at least listen to their stories before making judgment. I know a lot of people don't believe in alien stuff or alien abductions, but just listen. And I am telling you, there are thousands and thousands of people who have come forth. And the fact that their stories are sort of similar, how can you not think that something, something is going on? Now, growing up, society was great at shutting stories like these down, claiming, oh, this person just wants attention, fame, or money. Back then, how much fun did the media taunt UFO believers? And now our government has admitted, like I just talked to you about, that UFOs are in our skies and some of them are non-human things that they can't describe or tell you what it is or they can't even think of like a scientific method for it to be moving the way it's moving or go as fast as it's going. I mean, sometimes they move at unimaginable speeds. Like you can't even, the one time I saw something, I blinked and it was gone. Like that's how fast it moved. I can't even fathom something moving that fast. So of course, you know, the government wants to study it. But what if one day we're told by the government that many stories just like the ones I'm about to tell you are true and unexplainable. So listen with an open mind. I'm going to tell a story and then I'll talk about it after before going on to the next one. I really hope you guys enjoy. This first story is said to be one of the first nationally publicized accounts of abduction. It's very detailed because as you'll see, the abductee remembers everything. I think the reason this story in particular was so interesting to many is because it's the first story where alien and human mate. This is the chilling abduction of Antonio Villas Boes. Now, our story begins in early October 1957. A Brazilian farmer, Antonio, who was about 23 years of age, was working late at night in the fields to avoid the hot weather during the day. Now, Antonio says that on October 5th, he started to notice these strange lights in the sky. The light or lights would appear every night, and he remembers that one night as he laid down to sleep, that a large light beamed right through his bedroom window. He fell asleep and awoke a few hours later, and the light was still shining bright in the sky. Nine days after this incident, Antonio and his brother were out late working in the field. 
when all of a sudden, the bright light appeared again. But this time was different. The light came closer than it's ever been, hovering just 300 feet above the two men. It then moved to the other end of the field. Antonio and his brother went towards it to see what it could be. But then, without a sound, the light dimmed and disappeared right before their eyes, as if someone turned off a light. So Antonio concluded that the light must have went up back to the sky. While he looked away for a second, he had no other explanation. Lights that big don't just vanish, right? Shaken by the experience, they finished their work and went home. The next evening, Antonio was working alone when a red light zoomed out of the night sky and right towards him. He said it happened so quick that he barely had time to move or do anything. Before he knew it, the light was right above him. This time, he saw something. The light was being given off by an elongated egg-shaped craft. Three legs extended under it, and it began to lower. Terrified, Antonio finally worked up the nerve to run. So he runs to his tractor, but as he tries to start it, it wouldn't turn on and the headlights died out, almost as if it was completely drained of battery. He fled from the tractor, but stopped when something grabbed his arm. A small figure was holding on to him. Antonio described the figure saying that it was a full-length body suit of some kind with an egg-shaped helmet that had tubes that connected to the bodysuit. Antonio tried to release himself from the being, but was then surrounded by three other beings wearing the same suit and helmets. The four beings overpowered him and brought him onto their craft. Being pulled up by a rolling ladder, inside the craft he was put into a small, brightly lit room. Two of the beings grabbed hold of him while the other removed his clothes. Antonio says that he did try to get out of their hold and even though he resisted, he claims that the beings moved carefully trying not to cause him any harm. While all of this was happening, the aliens communicated with what Antonio describes as animalistic grunts. Antonio said he has no other way of describing the grunts because he had never heard of it ever in his life. So the closest thing to say was animal grunts. Now that he was fully naked, the beings applied a clear liquid to his body, what he assumes was to clean or disinfect him. They then used a device that attached to his chin to take a blood sample. Antonio said they left him alone for what seemed like forever, when all of a sudden, a naked female-like being entered the room. Antonio said the being looked female, yet not quite right. She was beautiful, but not fully human. Just then, something came down from the ceiling of the room and gave off a puff of smoke that made Antonio really nauseous. But he thinks the smoke worked as an aphrodisiac because even though he felt sick, his desire for the female began growing stronger. 
He described this being as having a small pointed chin with large blue cat-like eyes. Her hair was long and white, or possibly platinum blonde, but her underarm and pubic hair were bright red. Eventually, not long after the smoke filled the room, Antonio says that he had intercourse with the female being. A few times, actually. Antonio says that the being didn't kiss him during all of this, but instead she would nip at his chin. The being then put her hand on her belly and pointed up. Antonio did not understand, but felt as though the being was saying that she'd raise their offspring in space. He was given his clothes, and he was going to be returned to his farm. Antonio knew that no one was going to believe him and what just occurred. So on his way out, he decided he was going to take something, a small device, as proof. But he was caught by one of the other beings, and the being became furious. They kicked Antonio off the craft immediately. When Antonio was placed back in the field, he watched as the craft took off, shining bright in the sky just like he'd seen the nights before. After returning home, Antonio realized that four hours had gone by. Antonio didn't want to share his experience with anyone. Why would he? Who would believe it? After sharing his experience with a professor of medicine at the National School of Medicine, Dr. Olavo T. Fuentes convinced Antonio to speak out and share the experience. People needed to hear this and know what happened. So Antonio reached out to a journalist and also to a member of the Brazilian military intelligence. He was then questioned multiple times, sticking to the same stories and details, never forgetting or adding more. His story remained the same, and Antonio was also given medical tests and examinations. Doctors did notice two very small scars on his chin, giving truth to his detail of a device extracting blood from his chin. But even more shocking was that Antonio was found to be suffering from radiation poisoning. He also had some health problems that could not be explained in the months after his abduction. Later in life, Antonio became a lawyer, married, and had children of his own. He still stood by his story for the rest of his life and passed away on January 17th 1991. Wow, mi gente. <laughs> I'm going to be completely honest. I have never heard this story until recently. Now, when I first heard this, I thought, no way. Absolutely not. I mean, come on. More people would know about this like they know about Betty and Barney Hill. Everybody knows the Betty and Barney Hill abduction, which I've talked about in the past. If you haven't heard it, go back and listen. It's one of my first episodes. But the more I looked into it and the specifics, the details, I just, I'm floored. And here's why. So this is the late 1950s, okay? A device coming out of the ceiling a craft floating and moving quickly, I don't think someone could just make that up. Today, yes, easily. We are more advanced in our technology today. And, you know, if somebody were to tell me a story like this, I would just be like, uh, okay. <laughs> 
But here's the even bigger reason why I believe this story. The way he describes the female being. Oh my God. <laughs> when I read the description immediately, okay, let's see if we're on the same page, my alien lovers. My mind went Pleiadians or Nordic aliens, right? So if you're an alien fan, then you know there are different alien races. And I think I've talked about this before. So yeah, there's these different alien races that have been said to communicate with humans. And the Pleiadians, or Pleiadians, I think that's how you say it, are one of those races. Now back in 1957, I don't think the discussion of alien races existed. And if it did, it wasn't a big thing for a farmer in Brazil to hear, you know? Now, if you have no idea about the Pleiadians, let me just describe them to you. So a Pleiadian is an Aryan-like humanoid recorded in ufology. They are described as being very tall in height and have a robust physique. They are very fair-skinned and look very similar to humans with minor differences. Long blonde hair, big blue eyes, and I'm not talking like big blue eyes, I'm talking like oddly shaped big blue eyes. And they are said to rule over the gray aliens. Mm-hmm. So they are maternal, wise, spiritual, and jovial. Okay, hear me out. What if the beings that picked up Antonio were the gray aliens? You know, like the ones depicted in pop culture who were working under the Pleiadians that were trying to mate with a human. Huh? Huh? <laughs> so what if that night that Antonio first saw the light while he was sleeping in his bedroom? Okay, so remember, he said he went to bed, he woke up, the light was still there. What if that night someone else was taken into the ship, but they just didn't speak out about it like Antonio did, right? Doesn't that make sense? I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> it's wild but what if okay now here's some things that i find wrong with this story so why was he left with the full memory of what occurred most times abductees are left confused stunned or just completely wiped of their memory so why was antonio a farmer from brazil chosen even if the smoke made antonio horny i don't care how horny it made him. <laughs> Why would you have sex with a person, excuse me, a not human person, just for the hell of it? Especially when you're in a terrifying experience, like, okay, he's bored in a room for an hour, right? This <laughs> and then this kind of hot but odd looking female walks in. I'm sorry, but no thought of sex would even cross my mind. Unless, of course, he was mind-controlled. Then that makes sense. But still, I don't know. I just, I don't understand that part. Yeah, but other than that, this man stood by his story. He didn't gain fame or compensation, at least that I know of. So I'm gonna say that I do believe this story 85%. <laughs> I mean, if he would have fabricated this, he most definitely would have said, like, the alien being was fully satisfied, right? Because men. 
But in his retelling, he did mention that she seemed to be glad that the whole thing was over. So no man would uh, <laughs> admit that, right? I'm just kidding, boys. But for really, though, I don't know, mi gente. What do you think? Our next story is a bit gruesome and one of the few stories ending with a victim losing their life. This is the Lovett Cunningham incident. At the White Sands Missile Testing Grounds in New Mexico in 1956, two men were involved in a questionable incident. This testing site was close to Holloman Air Force Base and was used to test rockets. Major William Cunningham was the guy who collected the debris left behind after the tests. Air Force Sergeant Jonathan P. Lovett was helping him. What started as a normal workday would turn out to be anything but. The two men would split up to cover more ground while collecting debris. All of a sudden, Cunningham claimed that he heard the worst scream come from nearby. It was Lovett. Now, they are in the desert where many had been bitten by venomous snakes, so Cunningham assumed that that's what occurred. Cunningham ran towards the scream, ready to aid Lovett, but was shocked to see what he found. Lovett, screaming in fear, was being pulled by a long metal arm or tentacle-like pole. It was so long that Cunningham said he didn't even know where it was coming from. The metal arm pulled Lovett by his legs as he screamed in terror. Cunningham followed the long metal arm, looking up into the air where he saw a huge silver disc-shaped craft hovering. Only 20 feet above them, he was shocked and fell backwards and was completely frozen with fear. He could do nothing but watch as Lovett was pulled up towards the craft which then disappeared in a matter of seconds and was out of sight. Cunningham called for help on his radio. The testing site was then swarming with security teams who were searching the testing site for any evidence of what just happened. Cunningham was in a state of shock during all of this and rambled on about this object that he saw. They think he was experiencing a mental breakdown. They took him to the medical clinic on base, where he was observed and tested, but he still stuck to his story. Lovett was taken by a UFO, and it disappeared into the sky. However, although the base had a hard time believing what he was saying, the day of the incident, the base radar system did pick up an unidentified radar contact near where Lovett was taken. This key piece of evidence led the military to intensify their search. They spent a few days searching the surrounding desert, and after three days of searching, they found something that left them stunned. Ten miles from where Lovett was said to be taken, military personnel find Lovett's body. Immediately, people point the finger at Cunningham, saying he was guilty of hurting Lovett. But because of the location, there was absolutely no way he had enough time to hurt Lovett, move the body, and get back to radio for help. After an autopsy was done, it was stated that Lovett's body had been exposed to certain elements for one to two days. This means his body was someplace else, not the desert. Lovett's body was also found completely nude, but more disturbing 
was that the body had been left mutilated, having had its tongue removed at the root and the eyes gouged out. His anus and genitals were gone and most of his organs were missing, but all of these odd things were done in a very clean surgical way. And that's not all. Lovett's body was fully drained of its blood, but the vascular system was fully intact. Usually if someone bleeds to death, this doesn't occur. Medical personnel were stunned. Who did this and why? This incident became known as Grudge Report 13. It is kept out of official files and to this day remains classified. This leaves the Cunningham Lovett incident to be explained by theories with gaping holes to each conclusion. Terrifying story. <laughs> now, we've all heard about animals being mutilated on farms, but this was a whole fucking person. And not just a person who's out alone somewhere. I mean, there was a witness, right? If this really happened, somebody witnessed that person being taken and they saw everything. Okay, so let's dive into some of these theories because they're a bit interesting. Now, I kind of side with some of them, but I don't know. So I feel like the most plausible theory is that the two men got into an altercation and Cunningham made up the story to save his ass pretty much, right? So he wouldn't get in trouble. Now, the biggest problem with this, though, is Cunningham had no medical training. So how could he have administered these surgical procedures the way they were done so precisely on Lovett's body? I mean, this theory does try to explain this by saying that Cunningham could have gotten a medical doctor to help him move the body and then the doctor perform the surgery after Lovett was killed. I, I don't know. It, like... <laughs> It's crazy, right? It's crazy. Because the medical examiner does say that the body was kept somewhere other than the desert for one to two days. So, I mean, it could be, but why? Like, what is the reason? And too much work. <laughs> I don't know. It, it does make sense, but also doesn't make sense. You know what I mean? I don't know. Someone else theorized that some type of animal took love it but Cunningham might have been disoriented and claims that he saw like a large metal arm. However, the animal that took him had to be precise in handling Lovett. So this theory gets a big thumbs down from me. Boo. <laughs> nice try though. One of the top theories though is that Lovett was taken by a dark demon worshipping cult. Now, cults have been known to sacrifice animals and mutilate animals, cattle, for instance. They also have been known to drain animals of blood. I mean, yeah, sure, why not? However, Cunningham saw a craft, right, in the sky. Then there's the radar system picking up something unexplainable. So how does that fit in? You know, it's just, again, like I said, a bunch of theories with a bunch of holes. I mean, unless this dark cult has a sky shuttle, then <laughs> I don't think this theory works that well. But one theory that makes the most sense out of all of these is that it's all made up. This story's not real. So here's why some people think this is. 
So remember I told you that Project Grudge number 13 was a classified case? If it's classified, then how did this information come about? Like, how, who spread the cheese, man? okay? Because we know that the military, they don't play with this kind of shit, right? If it's classified, ain't nobody getting their hands on it. Mm-hmm. So these guys, known to be huge conspiracy theorists, claim they were involved with Project Grudge. So that's how they got this file. First was William Cooper, who was a UFO theorist, who says that he saw the file in the 1970s and was the first to bring it to the public after hearing the terrifying details. He just had to share it. He had to spread the chisme, right? Then a former Green Beret captain, William English, was working at an England military base where he claims he found the file and read it. Then Colin Bertram took his information to make a special for the History Channel and says that he heard about it from a controversial racist conspiracy theorist, Frank Joseph, who oddly enough was a huge believer that there was going to be this big war with aliens in our future or in the near future. So yeah, these are the men that people give, give credit to bringing out this story but it's true because, you know, I heard the story and then I'm like, oh, yeah, I could see this happening, right? But then once I heard this theory, I'm like, wait, <laughs> that makes a lot more sense. The government denies the incident, but is it because it never happened or because they don't want us to know that it happened, right? I don't know. What do you guys think, mi gente? Our last story you may have heard, and if you haven't, you may have seen a movie based on this incident called... Fire in the Sky. Travis Walton was a lumberjack who was working with a group in the Apache Site Greaves National Forest near Snowflake, Arizona. It was November 5, 1975, and the men were done for the day. They were loading up to leave. As they drove towards Snowflake, Arizona, they saw a large saucer-shaped disc about 100 feet in front of them. The truck carrying the men stopped, and after a brief argument, Travis Walton decided he was going to investigate the strange craft. The closer he got to the craft, a light began to shine down. The light became brighter and aimed right towards him. He saw black and passed out. The other men were so scared that they took off, leaving Travis behind. As the men sped off, they saw the craft zip off into the night sky. They turned back to see if they could find Travis, but he was gone. Travis claims that when he woke up, he was in what he described as a hospital-type room. As his vision cleared, he realized the doctors working on him were not human. They were short, bald, big-eyed humanoid aliens. He freaked out and began thrashing but the beings placed a plastic wrap of some sort over his face, and again, he blacked out. In another retelling later told by Travis, he thinks he did run away from the surgical room and ended up in a control room of some sort. It is in this room that a human wearing blue coveralls and a helmet tells him about the ship and even gives him a private tour. He then brings Travis back to the examination room. 
where he is put back to sleep by one of the aliens from before. The other men that witnessed the craft that night drove straight to police to tell them what happened. Of course, police did not believe them and immediately started questioning the men asking what they did to Travis Walton. However, there was no evidence and police had nothing to hold the men for. Five days later, on November 10th, 1975, Travis claims he woke up in the forest. His clothes were on backwards, and he had a faint memory of the craft closing its doors and taking off into the night sky. Travis began walking until he reached a payphone, 30 miles southwest of where he was taken. He describes the town as feeling empty and lonely, no one around. He makes a call to his brother-in-law, and within an hour, Travis is back home. When word of his return got out, everyone went wild. The media wanted to know what happened. The tabloids all covered his story. UFO takes man, then returns him five days later. Of course, the authorities also wanted to know what happened and gave Travis a lie detector test. He failed the test. Some claim that he only failed due to the fact he was still not recovered from his abduction. But skeptics claim he failed because he was lying and fabricated the entire story. They claimed he laid in the woods for five days, but why? What for? Ufologist Philip Klass was very skeptical of the abduction, especially after finding out that Travis and his brother-in-law were huge fans in the UFO and alien community. Two weeks beforehand, it was found that Travis watched a film about the abduction of Betty and Barney Hill. Some of Travis Walton's details closely align with the details from the Hill's abduction story. Travis later says that the trees near the site of the abduction have aged and grew faster than normal. Tests were done on these trees and this showed truth to the accusation. The soil in the area was also tested and found to have a slight chemical change. Even with all the skeptics, Travis remained true to his story. However, later, he says that he thinks his abduction was an accident. He thinks that he walked right into an alien experiment of the area and was hit by one of their tools, knocking him unconscious and he thinks they only brought him on board to make sure that he was okay. Today, if you visit the famous site, you'll be met by a much different place than it used to be. In 2002, a wildfire destroyed the area. Travis Walton wrote a book, Fire in the Sky, detailing his entire story. Since the incident, he has spent his time sharing his book around the country and speaking at UFO conventions. Travis also gives tours of the decayed area, retelling his story. So, was Travis Walton really taken that night? What do you think? Alright, this one I'm not really sold on. And in looking into this, the fact that Travis is a huge alien fan is enough to make me think that this isn't true. What are the odds that an alien UFO fan gets to experience this? Given I'm a fan too, and I have seen some unexplainable things in the sky, 
but I doubt that I'll ever get abducted and live to tell about it. Fingers crossed, though. <laughs> I don't know. And, and then the failed lie detector test, the book deal, and the movie. Just, I don't know. I'm just not feeling this one. Oh, and the human that just so happens to be on the craft that gives him a full tour. You really think aliens are wearing coveralls? Come on now. <laughs> There's absolutely no way. But what are you thinking, mi gente? I hope you guys enjoyed these stories. I know I did. And whether you choose to believe it or not is up to you. Do I believe these three incidents are fact? Absolutely not. <laughs> but I do feel that there is fact to them. That's for sure. As always, I post pictures on my Instagram, so go there and let me know what you think of these three stories. Do you believe in any of them? Before we go today, I want to give a shout out to some of mi gente. First, I have Lex Bax, L-E-X-P-A-X-Z. She says, excellent show. Keep it up, mija. Thank you so much for the five-star review on Apple Podcasts. And thanks for listening to. If you listen on Apple Podcasts, make sure to leave a five-star rating and a review. And I just might mention you next time. I love reading your reviews. Unfortunately, on Spotify, you can leave me a five-star. But I can't read a review. And I don't even think you can comment one. So, yeah. <laughs> That's why I like Apple Podcasts better for the reviews. Because then I can see them. And other people can see them too. Also, shout out to... Sarah Montague for literally liking almost every one of my TikToks recently. Girl, that's a lot of lore. And <laughs> the fact that you did that means a lot to me. But also Matthew French 1981 and Rosemary Landry O. I am telling you, my TikTok supporters rock. So don't forget to go join TikTok. Follow me there. Join my Instagram. Make sure to like and comment and follow me for more. And join Facebook groups and get the cheese flowing about the latest episode, including this one. Just be respectful to one another on there is all I ask. Remember, you can also share your creepy stories and cheese with me at creepychisme for you that's the number four y-o-u at gmail.com you can also message me on instagram i might answer you quicker there i've been having some email issues but i'm getting it fixed so bear with me y'all <laughs> so yeah thank you for listening i'll see you next time with a great interview with my friend and fellow podcaster have a great week everyone but uh don't get abducted or do if you please i know i'd enjoy it Gracias por escuchar y nos vemos pronto. Creepy Chisme is created for entertainment purposes only. Thanks for listening and don't forget, stay creepy and spread the chisme. Adiós mi gente.